Drunker here with another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. But this isn't just any other episode of our podcast. This is the 100th episode. And for this one, we did a special podcast with special guests, Roger Cameron, Renee Brooks, the founders of our company and the founders of the JMO recruiting industry. Roger founded this industry during the Vietnam era and then later joined with Renee and created the company Cameron Brooks. And I thank them for not only the great work, the amazing work that they did over many decades of building this industry, building our company, but also taking a chance on me and bringing me into this organization and allowing me to have the career that I have had for the last 21 years. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Roger and Renee talk about their experiences in beginning uh, the industry, how they started Cameron Brooks, the challenges of getting companies excited about junior military officers, what they found meaningful in their careers, as well as the advice that they would pass on to junior military officers during this economic challenges that we're having now and the impact of COVID-19. I hope you enjoy this special podcast. And to learn more about Cameron Brooks and Roger and Renee and the history, you can visit our website at Cameron-Brooks.com. Roger and Renee, welcome to uh, to the, the the podcast, the hundredth episode. I'm so excited to have you guys as our guests. Um, I've been wanting to have the two of you on for a long time since we started this a few years ago, and I can't think of a better occasion than the hundredth episode. So thank you for taking time to to be with us today. You're welcome. It's our pleasure. All right. So I thought we'd start with um, I'd start with a question for Roger to begin. Um, Roger, you started the industry to give people a little bit of background, a little bit of some PCS, but could you guys give us a couple minutes, like how did this all begin with this whole JMO recruiting industry? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, Joel, the industry was born by the shutdown of Vietnam. So that was you know, the late 60s and into about the mid-75. Uh, and um, I was in San Francisco, and uh, most all of the officers were transitioning out at Travis Air Force Base, just uh, north of, of San Francisco. And I had another person uh, decided that um, this could be interesting for a two- or three-year period of time while Vietnam shut down. The problem with getting the industry started is that all the major companies at that given point, their development candidates were hired off the college campus. They were 21 or 22. And the junior military officer was coming out anywhere from 24 to 26. I mean, most of them had three to five year, uh, depending on whether they are ROTC or academy. And so the company said, well, I don't know how we can fit this older person into the program that we designed for the fresh college graduate, which they had, had forever. And um, so it was more the ROTC guys that that had maybe just three-year obligations that were coming out. And, of course, you know, the company said that their degrees were aged if they had an accounting degree or a any kind of uh, technical degree had been basically sitting on the shelf 
for a, a three to five year period of time. And so companies were very reluctant uh, to be interested in them. But um, there were three or four companies, uh, major national companies that said, well, let's give it a try. And um, so there were, the first thing they, they discovered with this military officer coming out was just a tremendous work ethic uh, that they, uh, they hadn't been used to an eight to five uh, day. I mean, it was, it was basically a 24 seven operation in the military and certainly in Vietnam. And um, so the work ethic uh, really uh, was a major issue to begin with. And then, of course, the, the long-term factor became the leadership. I mean, unfortunately, the fresh college graduated had basically never uh, led anybody other than maybe in a, a fraternity, a sorority, that type of thing. And not to take away from that, but to compare that uh, to that officer that was coming out and having uh, led platoons of maybe 18 to 22, 23 people, and and uh, maybe if they made captain, which which was a little bit of a problem at that point because of the age factor, uh, even more. But once that industry uh, discovered the work ethic and the leadership of the military officer, you know, the industry just took off. And again, while we thought it would be a two or, year, two or three year situation until Vietnam closed down, once the companies found out uh, the value of the military officer, well, here we are, what, <laughs> 40, 50 years later, uh, uh, still going strong. So anyway, that's, that's how it all started. And, and, uh, Fortunately, the three or four companies that really brought the industry off of the ground were uh, just extremely well-known companies. And when other um, uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, discovered that they were hiring this military officer, you know, that's what really made it grow and uh, uh, was just a lot of fun after we got it off of the ground. and sold the concept. Roger, how did you approach these companies? Like, how did, I guess, I've always been curious, like, you see what the military officer can offer, you go to them, they don't have a history of these. How did, like, how did you go to them and say, hey, wait a second, you're missing something here. How did you convince them that they have something to offer? Yes, well, I know, I knew some of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, corporate recruiters, and uh, so it was just really, uh, <laughs> it was a learning experience, Joel. I mean, none of us had any answers. I mean, it was just, we were just hoping that these people who had great credentials and these kind of things uh, belonged in corporate America. Well, then the other thing was is that companies really felt like they had an obligation uh, to uh, support uh, all of these people coming back from Vietnam. And so companies were willing to uh, experiment. I mean, that's really what we were doing. And um, I mean, it was, 
when the companies started to get a taste of this military officer, my guys, Joel, the things they did, we were able to fly our private aircraft right onto the military bases. Uh, they supplied rooms for us to interview. And so it was really a win-win. I mean, the military wanted these officers to be able to make a transition. And, um, but it was a struggle. I mean, it was, it was, it was just a lot of selling, not only from uh, our standpoint to the companies, but from the junior military's um, standpoint and interviews and that type of thing. And so there was, there was nothing easy, but um, fortunately the officers just, their performance was outstanding and, and uh, really they're the, the reason this industry has been so successful. Well, but, Renee, tell us. Oh, go ahead, Roger. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Renee, tell tell the listeners a little bit how you got into the industry because you came in a little bit after Roger. Yes. Well, um, in 1971, um, I was working for a hotel chain, and I was in Southern California. I had been headquartered in Texas, and I met all of the uh, uh, people that were conducting these um, seminars uh, in the hotel chain. So that's how I became exposed to this. Um, and then um, when I married Roger, he uh, encouraged me to try the business out because he thought I would be good in it. And so I did. And um, uh, that was I started in 1971, so that's how I became exposed to it, was just uh, seeing them as a client to the hotel chain I work for, and then um, uh, Roger's encouragement from that standpoint. Um, there were very, very few women in the military at that time, and there were very, very few women in the corporate industry at that time in any kind of managerial position, so that was an interesting um, uh Opportunity, I guess you could say, in one way, but also a disadvantage in another, uh, in the, in being a woman. But it actually became an advantage later on, in in uh, as I gained more experience. Uh, and you started out though predominantly. Do you guys both did? I guess it's a question for either of you. Whereas today at Cameron Brooks, we really have we do cross lines, but there is a part of us that focus predominantly on clients, part that's working on candidates. The way you and your team organized work, you really handled both. Is that is that correct on how you worked? Yes, that is correct. Each of us um, had uh, military bases that we were assigned to and that we developed, uh, and then we were responsible also for bringing in um, clients to uh, the business. And, of course, um, since Roger had been in the business since the 66-67 um, uh, time frame, um, he already had all of the best clients um, that you know that were out there that he just referred to um, in his prior uh, answer, and so it was a matter of developing new new clients uh, uh, for us. And so uh, those of us who were new in the business had gotten into the business. We were responsible for developing some of our own clients, and that was just a matter of. Um, cold calling and uh, talking to people and um, I can t tell plenty of stories about companies that I personally worked on for three or four years before I ever uh, convinced them to try hiring junior officers so that was 
um, that was how we grew, grew some of that. What do you think it was, Renee, yeah. that ultimately got them motivated to, to, okay, we want to give this a try? Well, there were a couple of things. You know, part of, of the situation was just main, developing a relationship so that I could maintain contact with them and continue to grow their knowledge uh, in what the junior officer had to offer because most, many of the people had not been in the military. They knew very little about the military. So they had no experience or no awareness of what junior officers could offer. Uh, and they didn't have positions where they thought they could insert a junior officer. Um, some of the companies that Roger was referring to, they hired college graduates. Other companies, they didn't hire college graduates. They hired only experienced people. And the junior officer was a unique individual that could be considered to be sort of a new hire, like a college hire, or could be considered to be an experienced hire. So um, the right opportunities had to come along where companies felt like, okay, this might be a place for a junior officer. So it had to sort of work on both sides. And so a lot of it had to do with the economy, with particular companies' need to hire, and also for the right position. And sometimes it was the right department or the right manager that had a good attitude about developing a junior officer because companies invest a lot of time and money and manpower into uh, teaching a person the business and they wanted to feel like that there was going to be a good return on the investment uh, that they could keep the junior officer and the junior officer would, would succeed uh, in the long run because that's who they um, were kind on to be their future leaders in their organization. Yeah, it's still, well, it's still very much. Go ahead, Roger. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, I, I think you go back and and you have to really realize that this is a brand new industry back in the late 60s and, and the early 70s. It's brand new. I mean, nobody understood any concept. We didn't understand how the officer would fit in the industry and vice versa. And so change was dynamic. I mean, it was dynamic. It was almost every day we were learning different things. And you know, at those, in, in, in those days, companies were hiring engineers. They were hiring accountants. They were hiring financial people. They were hiring salespeople. They, didn't even, they never even used the terminology of technical leadership and, and those kind of things, which is, of course, what the military officer has been so good at. Well, in those days, we didn't even recognize those kind of things. We, we were trying to do with the junior officer exactly what the French college graduate was doing. That's where we started out. And we just learned very quickly that this person actually was a step ahead of that. And, and but we had to find different positions to put them in. And, and Renee, of course, her, her primary responsibility ultimately became selling to the companies. And that's what she uh, did so well. But going back to those early days, I mean, um, the the dynamic change we had. We didn't have conferences. I mean, it was a one-on-one -on -one basis, and and maybe a plant had one or two openings, and we would send in maybe three or four officers to interview with it. And we never even heard of the concept of the of the seminar to begin with, and in the conferences to begin with. Uh, but um, you know, so you just 
have to understand, and you do understand, Joel, that uh, that the changes are still happening, and, and you had a major one this last conference because of, of coronavirus and and that type of thing. But actually, that was kind of the fun of, of bringing the business off of the ground. There were three people learning. We were learning how to recruit the junior military officer. The junior military officer was learning how to fit into corporate America. And corporate America was learning how to to uh, fit the military officer in and, and be able to hire them. But it was a fun time, but it was it was also a, a, a difficult time simply because of the dynamic change on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Well, Joel, just to clarify something, I said that when I first was exposed to um, the, the industry was when I was working for the hotel chain. It was a seminar in the hotel, and then Roger just said that we had the one-on-ones. You know, in terms of starting and developing the business, we've gone through sort of this evolution of change that has just gone from one thing. So there were some seminars to start with, and then we went to where we just were sending in individual candidates, and companies were coming into our office in San Francisco to interview. And then it wasn't until the mid-70s that um, Roger and I decided that we should sort of take this really on the road. And so we uh, decided to start uh, going nationwide. We had done a little bit of nationwide stuff, but not really anything significantly. So we decided to sort of take on the rest of the world, other than just the West Coast, um, and uh, start uh, doing this on the road. So when we start went on the road, we couldn't then have an office. So we started holding these um, uh, career conferences uh, at at different military bases around the country. So we were actually holding them at, at, um, at Fort Hood and at Fort Knox. We were picking out big military bases where we could bring in officers from other bases around them. So it has over the years has been an evolution of 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 ways to accomplish what we wanted to, uh, to where we've gotten to where it is today. And we, you know, we finally hit upon what we felt like was the best way to do it, which is the way that Cameron Brooks is doing it today. But it really has been a, uh, a learning process and an evolution of ways to meet the needs of the candidates and the companies. Um, so it's, it's, it's taken how many years since the late, 60s to do that, so it's over 50 years to, 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 get, to get where it is today. Yeah, and it just is uh, just crazy how fast and things keep evolving. Um, I was thinking about that because I figured we'd get into that a little bit about the the periphery things change, and what I mean by periphery things change, you know, whether we send in three or four people to conferences at bases to these five career conferences a year now that we did in Charlotte and Austin, other Charlotte and Chicago. Now we just did a virtual one. We'll have to do another virtual one. But in the end, the one of the, you mentioned this, I think it was Renee, it was just a minute ago, the truths of, and Rogers have been alluding to this, the, the truths of the industry have not changed. And that is that the junior officer, the good ones, the top performing ones, bring something to the business world, this leadership that they so desperately need, that has not changed. That's what Roger and you, Renee, discovered and, and sold to the companies. And the other piece that Renee, you were talking about, that there's an investment. That hasn't changed. The companies still look at it as an investment. 
that they want somebody that they can invest in. They're not looking for them just to fill a position. Um, at least through Cameron Brooks, they're looking at somebody they can bring in, solve the immediate problem, but is this somebody that can grow and develop with the company? And as much as things change, that core of what we do at Cameron Brooks and the core of the value that JMO brings to corporate America has not changed. All that thing. So thank you for, for discovering that and bringing it to fruition. I know one of the things I've always said is that there's no finer training institution than the military. Uh, it is the largest organization in the United States that takes young men and women right out of college and trains them and gives them opportunities for hands-on experience like the military. And they learn, they learn from doing, and they learn from experience. And so it's a great training ground. Um, and there's also no organization that I know that has to train people for tough jobs, jobs that are very, very results-oriented, very mission-oriented. Um, and they're constantly training for what are the um, – what's plan B, what's plan C, what's plan D if plan A doesn't work out. And that's exactly why I think the junior officer has succeeded so well, is they were trained very well. They've had incredible experience in hands-on experience that are uh, very broad. Uh, the military loves to move people around to different jobs to give them that experience so that they become a senior officer. They have that experience. Well, the same thing works beautifully in the, in the business world. That broad experience is of great value. Uh, so it's I think the military officer is set up beautifully and as you know, many, many companies have discussed, have discovered that uh, as a result. You know, Joel, I, I go back and one of the, one of the arguments that Renee and I had to overcome was a lot of companies, uh, uh, particularly the non-military development candidates within companies didn't like to see all of these military officers coming in. That was one of the things that you know you talk about. I talk about in PCS is that don't go into corporate America and hang all of this military stuff on your walls and hmm. all of these kinds of things. Help help blend in a little bit. But it was an argument. Even the companies thought, are we getting too many military officers? And and um, you know some companies basically ignored it. Others it, it bothered them. And again, it was just one of those things that we had to sell over and junior military officer had to handle themselves correctly. And but like Renee says, that they they come out of the military so well trained, they just understand things like that. And uh uh it didn't take too long that most companies forgot about that issue. But it was just one of the other things that we had to sell over in the process of uh, developing the industry. When did it really start to take off and catch catch on where, Renee, you didn't feel like uh, you were really having to you know, get out there and sell the value of the junior military officer to corporate America? Like, okay, this is catching on within the industry. Well, I think that what really was the turning point for a broad awareness of the value of the military was during Desert Storm in 
was that 1989, 1990, I believe? Or was it 1991, yes. Yeah, so now 19, we're a full 19, 20 years after you guys started this industry. Yes, 1990, 91. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really, all of a sudden, the, the business world, the whole world was so impressed with how the uh, military could go into Saudi Arabia and bring all this equipment in there. They were so impressed with the logistics part of it, with the ability to really in a very short amount of time, accomplished the uh, mission. And so that was an awareness thing. So that gained a lot of credibility in things that we'd been talking about for 20 years, such as that the military officer wasn't just shooting guns, driving tanks, flying airplanes, and driving ships because People just couldn't figure out, well, what do you do with someone who's just been shooting guns and <laughs> driving tanks and flying planes and uh, and uh, driving ships that they couldn't figure out? Well, there's logistics, there's supply chain, there's distribution, there's warehousing, um, as well as uh, following, you know, uh, re- reacting to differences in in the um, in your mission that you were after. So that's what happens in the business world every day. And so that was <clears throat> for me in terms of working with companies because by that time, Roger was in charge of recruiting and I was in charge of handling um, all the company clients. And even though we still crossed over a little bit, not that much by that time, it became easier, I think, um, for us to do that. And the companies just understood more about junior officers. But yeah, it was 20 years and afterwards, um, but that's, that's when, it, to me, it was a change. I want to be really sensitive to your guys' time, and I want so much ground. We could be here for hours telling the history of officers, but I want to just tell the listeners that you, when you guys really started growing this and formed the true Cameron Brooks out of this recruiting that you were doing in, in California, you moved to Texas and really started the true Cameron Brooks out of your home here in Texas. Is that correct? Well, okay, I'll answer that. Um, I'm originally from Texas. We decided to uh, buy some property in Texas. And because it was in the central part of the United States, it was easier to travel back here as we were traveling across the United States to recruit candidates and hold um, these career conferences around different places. It was easier to get to Texas in the central part of the U.S. versus go to California. So we moved here full time and then eventually move the company here from uh, from California out here where we started up Cameron Brooks at that time um, in about the mid 80s. Uh, so that's how we got here and being in the central time zone was just an advantage business wise. And then grew this the, the team and the business to uh, the office and to 20 people and mm-hmm. uh, Roger traveling throughout the world, Germany um, and Hawaii and adding recruiters and team members and eventually um, building up the next generation of Cameron Brooks and turning it over to uh, to that next generation where, where we are today. Um, kind of where you guys were along the way, but I want to kind of dive into some, some things. I'd like to um, let the listeners get to know you a little bit. So Renee, when you, for for you, when you look back at your career, when, you know, I think everybody knows now that you're retired and 
and uh, have been away from this for about nah, I think it's nine years now, eight or nine years. When you look back at the, the career and your time here, what did you find is the most rewarding of your career? Well, even though I was not at the end directly involved with recruiting the candidates, there's just no doubt it, it has always been that the gratification from helping the junior officers at a, a sort of a crossroads of their life where they're making a big decision when they move from the military into the civilian world, what are they going to do and how are they going to do it and how well can they do it, being able to help them do that and be successful is absolutely the most gratifying. And and it was extremely gratifying to me within the companies of handling the companies that we had so many incredible success stories with the junior officers at every level, success stories at the very beginning, in the middle of their careers, at the end of their careers. Um, and of course, we got to the point that we were actually placing children of the people that we placed back in the 60s and 70s. And so, I mean, we sort of came full circle on that. But you know, working with the individual people, and, and even to this day, uh, some of the people that we stay in touch with are uh, candidates that we placed uh, that then became clients that hired from us, uh, and they are just people that we had wonderful relationships with, and they did a great job of of helping to bring junior officers into their companies and to help develop some of those junior officers. So we have some great stories and memories together that we can share. Roger, I'm going to get to you in just a minute, but I want to capitalize just on something that Renee said about placing children and things like that. I know you guys might still look at me as like this 26-year-old guy that started with you guys in 1999. But now I've got people's children coming through. I, I And I also was interviewing a candidate um, about six months ago, and his name was Keith. And I looked at his the last name. I said, oh, I used to have a supply sergeant that I worked very closely with in the Army. And I looked on the back of the application. Sure enough, retired Sergeant Joe, Joe LeMay. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this guy's kid that I worked <laughs> with in the Army. And then we have a, a, a candidate or an alumnus of ours who is a candidate at our first conference. He continues to come back and recruit from us. He's a grandfather now. I mean, this is like <laughs> I am now. I have become the I have become the Roger Murnay of seeing the <laughs> becoming older here. So mm -hmm. I've got I could I can now certainly um, kind of share some of that same sentiment. But for you, Roger, when you look back, you talked about the challenges, and yet that was the fun part. When you look back at your career, and it might even be the same thing, what did you find the most meaningful for you? Yeah, I, I think really uh, a couple of things uh, that just jump out at me. And, uh, you know, number one is the Camera Brooks team. Uh, uh, we have, uh, I don't know how long Mary Lou's been there, but I think, you know, what, 40 some years? And It's and, over 42, uh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, first of all, um uh, this this Cameron Brooks team has just been so solid. It's 
staying with us for years and years and years and fighting the battles with us and all of that kind of thing. And certainly yourself and and Chuck. And I mean, I recall so well going back and introducing you into Cameron Brooks and Chuck into Cameron Brooks and, and you know, all of the rest of the, the team. It, it was just it was a lot of gratification to be able to sit here today at 84 years of age and, and uh, look at these people that uh, have uh, stuck with us and uh, continue to work hard and contribute. The second thing is that just really jumps out of my mind is uh, uh, Renee actually creating the concept of uh, uh, developing the alumni program because Joel, this alumni program has created the absolute rock foundation of Cameron Brooks. I mean, I don't know what percentage of recruiters at every conference are uh, returning alumnus hiring as they move into management, but I know it's a high percentage. It was when I was there. And um, how I was just... Uh, um, uh, last fall, I was hunting at uh, Georgia, and I walked into this upscale hunting lodge. Uh, just this guy walks up to me, and and about six foot six, and he says, "Roger," and I didn't recognize the guy, but he almost picked me up off of the floor, and he says, "You don't remember me, but you placed me out of the Navy." And, in such and such a year, and he said, I'm CEO now, and, and Joel, these, uh, you know, these kind of things happen frequently. Uh, a guy out here on the Book Ranch golf course not too long ago uh, said that I had placed his son, and these kind of things. So the alumnus program that, that Renee came up with the concept, and as you know, how we have developed that over the years, which is a tremendous asset to the alumnus as well as it is to Cameron Brooks because, of course, we, we offer them interviewing guides for promotion, promotional interviews and those kind of things. Well, that, that really stands out to me. And, and, you know, at this point in my life, what I like to see is success. And so, you know, you talk about the success of Cameron Brooks is just unbelievable and you talk about the success of the military officers they move up through the positions and uh, stick with their companies and we read about them in the wall street journal frequently and that type of thing well those are really the two things that jump out at me yeah well, you mentioned and, and, something go ahead renee sorry well joe i just want to add one thing roger if you'll recall the whole reason for developing the alum program was predominantly to help the alum that we placed to be successful in their companies. To, as you you did mention about helping them if, if they needed inter, uh, interview preparation for a promotional interviews, if they needed advice along the way, we wanted to be able to help them to be successful. But one of the um, additional benefits that we didn't even think of at the time was how much it was going to help us with client companies. So I've always said that is a perfect example of you do the right thing for people, which was to try to help them. One of the advantages that, that fell in our lap was that it was a huge success. It really helped us with our client companies as well. It, it created um, uh, 
a contact with the alum who, as they got promoted and had the ability to hire themselves, were able to come back to Cameron Virtual. That was never part of the original plan. So I always just like to use that as an example of, of how you do the right thing. It will come around to, to benefit you in many other ways. And we are definitely well, reaping the fruits of it. Go ahead, Roger. Sorry. As you know, Renee is is uh, much better at remembering details than I am at this point of my life. Uh, but uh, that was a good point, Renee. Yeah, the you know just it's so valid right now, especially is is uh, you know I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but we're recording this in the uh, you know really 14% unemployment rate. Um, and maybe rising and certainly the recession, if not even deeper than a recession. And when we had our April career conference, um, you know, uh, other organizations were canceling and uh, whether what they couldn't figure it, figure it out or they just didn't have companies that would do it. But our alum uh, plant managers at, you know, two of them were plant managers at different Mars um, plants. One of uh, another, one of our alum, is the uh, HR uh, vice president for five Johnsonville facilities. Another one is the president of North America for a company called Kaiser. Um, and I just can go on and on about how they came, they they had openings for the most critical needs of positions and they didn't physically came, come to the conference, but they interviewed and hired and, and you know, it's, we're putting the June conference together and. I think that, and I believe it's the deep relationships with the alum and the value that they see that Cameron Brooks brings and that you're right. And that's kind of a plug as people listen to this of how we're able to continue to, to find openings in this market. A lot of it has to do with our alumni out there, which I want to switch to a different subject here, kind of on the same subject, but I'd love to hear from you, Roger, first, and then Renee, same question. Most of the people that are going to be listening to this are junior officers getting out thinking about getting out and it's a down market right now. You guys have seen a lot of down markets in 40 years before you retired. What are some things that are, that are true that you saw in every down market and what would your advice be to a junior officer thinking about getting out in, in a down market? Roger, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, um, I can say this, that, um, in uh, all of the years, and Renee can correct me on this, but I'm quite sure I'm right that we have never, ever uh, canceled a conference. And uh, so as you say, Joel, we've been through some very tough times over, over the period of time. And, and um, so I have, I have never recommended to an officer that, that had the right credentials uh, that they not make the transition. And I've never had a military officer look at me and say, I wish I hadn't. Uh, but I will say that we all stepped up and worked harder in preparation and that type of thing. And so the difference really, Joel, uh, in the tough times, instead of maybe getting the eight or nine interviews, it was three or four interviews, but they were quality interviews. They fit the, the credential of the candidate and uh, the desire of the candidate and and so I, I i just i think that if you have the quality 
the part of America they're looking for, there's never a reason not to make uh, uh, the transition. It just means that, okay, got to step up, read a few more books, work a little bit harder on the interviewing, look more so on the overall preparation, and don't have expectations of of having eight, nine, ten interviews um, uh, and, and be content with three or four interviews that fit what you're looking for and that type of thing. That's my best memory, Joel. That's a great memory. Roger, I just did a uh, a webcast that was recapping our April conference. And basically what I said is that I've uh, been here 21 years now this July and been through a few downturns. And certainly this one is pretty significant. 2009 was pretty significant. And I remember going through 2009 being like, man, will companies even be hiring? And I was just surprised. It wasn't as many, but they still really needed leaders. And even the ones we saw at April, they really needed leaders. And what they needed, they needed leaders for their most critical to fill, hard to fill positions. So it may be the third shift. It may be Shelby, Mississippi or Auburn, Nebraska, where they need a talented leader and they just can't get them in that location. Or it could be a certain sales territory takes the right person. And what I kept telling the candidates is exactly what you did, Roger. And I thought like when I was saying these things, I was like, man, I sound like Roger Cameron here. <laughs> just you know, read more books, double up on your interviewing. And the perfect job is not going to be out there. It never was before. But even more so now, and you can really make a name for yourself if you go to Shelby, Mississippi, or you go to this smaller town in Nebraska, and you crush it. You do great. And and that's just your starting point. And now you're always going to be known and be able to move that, that move within that organization. You know, this, I, and, I, and I shared with them that um, I celebrated 20 years last year. And um, Chuck um, said a couple things. And Chuck didn't say all the good things that he did. He, he actually, what he said was, Joel's been here and he's been through a lot. He's been through a couple downturns. He's been through the change of the company. He's been, when we had to switch for you take over recruiting, it was all about the times that I had been in the company where I'd navigated, been a part of a leader in the company and navigating through those difficult times. That is what, what he mentioned. And that is what we'll get known by going back to what you said in the beginning, Roger. Hey, it was hard. It was challenging. And I'll turn it over to Ray in just a minute. It's just like turning this company into a vert, this conference into a virtual conference. I mean, yeah, I was a, you know, when this all hit, I was a little pretty nervous, but I had a lot of uh, fun looking back on it and rewarding on trying to, on figuring out how do we take every single event to include like the one-on-one coaching that we do in the hallways between interviews. How do we turn all that into a virtual process? We figured it out. But it, it, do I, it, it, just like you said, it was hard, but it's so rewarding. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Renee. For, yeah, for and, and, it, and it, it doesn't surprise me, Joel, that you had such great success with the airport conference. And, and I want to do, I want to take it back to the team. I mean, we have such depth of experience. I mean, there there is no organization that has to offer the junior military officer what Cameron Brooks does. I mean, uh, 
I can't even imagine if you added up all of the years of the, of the team, how many years it would be. But the interesting thing is, is that depth of experience uh, was experience gained over difficult times and difficult changes in those type of things. And, and so it, it did not surprise me that your April conference was uh, so successful. I had no idea how you were going to pull it off, but I knew you would. We had an amazing, like you said, we had an amazing team, amazing team that, that, and Mary Lou being a big part of that. And, you know, I think we, you know, we can all chuckle because Mary Lou could hear this, you know, this Mary Lou, and, and, and I appreciate her for this. She's resists change. And the reason she resists change is because quality is so important to her. She doesn't want to change things because she's afraid of the quality changing. But I'm telling you about a person that took an entire week to write down every one of her processes and figured out how to do it digitally it was huge. And um, we have many other team members that were a big part of it. But I want to mention one last thing. You said, you know how many years we have? You just take Chuck, me, and Mary Lou that puts us over 100 of years of experience with just the yeah. three of us. Right. That's not yeah. getting the, the, the rest of them. But anyway, Renee, we need to let you talk about a little bit like what, what are your thoughts on down markets to junior officers that might be listening to this? Well, when I think of all the down markets that we have been through in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, I mean, it is it is amazing how we have arisen to the occasion in every case and actually have learned so much from it. But I don't know that I can add a whole lot of new information, but I do agree with, I want to reemphasize what both of you have said, is that the companies need the junior officer more than ever when they are going through a difficult time because of the difficult assignments that military officers have and that they're the difficult situations that they find themselves in. So for those officers who have been able to really seize those opportunities in the military, they are going to be able to use those experiences in the business world. What you said about they hire for their critical needs, What when a company is, is in a tight squeeze, they don't go out and hire extra people just to have. They hire people that they know can get the job done. And they're hiring for really important jobs. So there's no, these are core jobs that are core to the company's success. Um, in some ways, what I was concerned about was, well, what happened to all those candidates that got placed back in the fall and in January conferences that their companies now are probably going through tough times and they're just barely getting started in their career. So there's a lot to be said for for interviewing during a tough time because you're getting hired for jobs that are essential. I mean, essential positions that are not going to be going away anytime soon. So there's no perfect time to be hired. There's no perfect job, as you said. But I am so confident that the caliber candidate that Cameron Brooks interviews and Brinks that even accepts, the cal caliber candidate is accepted by Cameron Brooks, will absolutely be able to be competitive in any kind of job market that you throw at them. They may not have as many options, but I can give you so many examples of people who are in the business world today that have did not go into their ideal job, their ideal location, their ideal position, even their ideal company or industry that have just succeeded so much just because they 
take whatever's in front of them and they do the absolute best with it that they can. And that that gets noticed out there. That gets noticed out there. So, uh, you know, I just encourage people to <clears throat> grab the bull by the horns, go with it the best, don't job hop around, stick with stick with your guns, stay with it. I'm giving you a lot of Texas colloquialism <laughs> <laughs> language here. Sorry, I'm an old Texas girl. Um, <clears throat> but in uh, really uh, come to meet those challenges. And just like you just said, Joel, you will feel so good about yourself. It's just the most wonderful thing in the world is to overcome tough times. And uh, you just cannot work for especially even 20 years and not go through some ups and downs in the marketplace. It's to be expected. And actually, they are wonderful times for development and growth and evolving and changing and learning how to do things better. Absolutely. Well, and I want to be really respectful of your time. I want to just mention a couple of things. A lot of times I, I finish um, the podcast asking asking uh, the guests like the best advice that they ever received. And so we're going to flip it around, though, this time. I'm going to say the best advice that I remember that Roger gave me and the best advice that ever Renee ever gave me and share it with the, with the, the listeners. And I've, and, and it's, it may not be the best, but it's the one I remember the most. Um, so I consider it the best and I'll start with Renee. And I was just using this the other day and Renee taught me, I don't know when it was very early, never ask the question that you don't want the answer to. People might be like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, some, the reason why it came up is somebody, I heard somebody saying, um, will, can you reschedule uh, uh, another phone conversation with me to follow up on this topic? And I said, that is an example of asking a question that you don't want the answer to, because it could be no. Instead, ask the question when will be the next, when in the next two weeks is a good time to have another conversation. And so I use that advice all the time. Think about the questions you're going to ask and don't ask a question that you don't want the answer to. <laughs> Do you remember telling I me, mean, that might have been a Walter Haley. Um, no, well, advice, I mean, but, that, yeah, that's just something that I've, that I've done myself for years. So I don't know why why it came up in our conversation. But yes, that's just something that I probably heard that from Roger the first time, but, but, um, I still believe that. To this it day. actually works great with kids too. You just don't ask <laughs> yeah. them questions that you don't want to forget it. Don't even think I asked that question. Never mind. So it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think Good. this, this other one's probably a little bit more applicable to, to the listeners. And, and I use this with, with uh, uh, Rob and Pete who taught, bring me a candidate every now and then. I remember going to Roger taking a candidate's file and it, I don't remember the person's credentials, but they were really good. And um, I said, Jerry, Roger, this is a really good candidate. And you read the, some of the notes and you said, you pushed the file back at me and you said, no, he's not. And you, and you told me that may have the credentials, but doesn't have the attitude, doesn't have the desire, doesn't have the willingness to make the decisions to, to be a giver, to invest in his career. And that's the other half of the candidate that a lot of people miss. And that's kind of what Rod, the three of us have been touching on in this down market. You know, the person that's going to be the, they really end up being the stars, going to say, hey, I know you don't have a the starting position at quarterback right now, but hey, well, you got something on special teams? Do you have something on 
on this other part, just put me in and let me, let me contribute and I'll navigate to the ideal. And I always remember that it might be the best credentials, have the best, and the companies might love the resume. But in the end, it's the other half that ultimately will make the person's career. So I always keep that in mind when I'm working with somebody. And likewise, when somebody doesn't have the greatest credentials, but has the fabulous work ethic and attitude, it's, it's, you know, it's very helpful to always keep that in mind. So thank you for passing those many nuggets of wisdom on to, to us at Cameron Brooks, but those are two that I remember. That's, that's I remember good. That's a few good. others, yeah. Joel. But <laughs> What's that, Roger? I say I remember a few others, but <laughs> we'll do that some other time. Yeah, we may have to do another one. We could have another podcast some other time with Roger's funny stories. I was going to, you guys are talking about investing in the team. I know we got to wrap up here soon. I really wanted to tell the listeners about my interview process with Cameron Brooks. And when Roger Cameron asked me 15 seconds into my interview, if I wanted to go home, um, I think that's how, I think that's your first interview question. Do you want to go home? Are you interested in this? And 21 years later, this will be 21 years, my conference. I haven't gone home. So I'm still here. <laughs> and, and when he asked that question, he meant, "Do you want to go home to West to Minnesota?" Is that what he was asking? No, he 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 was. Did I want to drive back to clean? Was I interested? Because he didn't want to waste his time. Oh, oh, I see. Got it. Morning, okay. On a Saturday morning, if I or I think it was a Sunday morning, actually. I see. And okay. I probably had better things to do around the ranch other than to interview me. If I, I was see. Like, when you were interviewing at Cameron Brooks, I'm sorry. Okay. Exactly. Got yeah. <laughs> that was his first. Uh, his first. Uh, first conversation with me in my interview with Cameron Brooks, but we're here now. So <laughs> I think you proved your point, Joel. I did. I did. Thank <laughs> you. Roger and Renee, thank you I'm so much for taking time to be on this. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well I want to say one more thing. There um Roger, I always said, I always said he has the best nose for identifying talent. In a, in just a few minutes he could identify talent and I think he had really, I think he really helped you and Chuck since y'all were there more of the time. You know, I, he didn't have as much exposure with with Rob and uh, and Pete of really how to identify great candidates and all the things that went into it. So I do think that was just one of the incredible contributions that Roger has. He just had an innate ability and he was able to teach it. Because so sometimes you cannot teach instinctive things. So I think that that's what you just said is very apropos. And it takes time, but I do. Maybe this should be one other thing we finish off with. Roger, can you tell the listeners you used to have like a sticky on your desk about some saying about people that play golf? Do you remember what that said? Say that once again, Joel. You you used to have like a sign on your desk or a sticky that said something derogatory about people that played golf. Do you remember what that said? Yeah, I I, I really did, Joel. And of course. Steve can, continues to remind me of that, but you know, I would I would always interviewing a new uh, person for Cameron Brooks. I would look at them with this kind of smile on the face and say, "You like to play golf?" And if they said yes, boy, the interview was over with. I mean, uh, I didn't want anybody that because I had actually had a recruiter in California that I discovered was spending more time on the golf course than they were recruiting. So that's that's where that that originally came from it. So now I'm having to kind of swallow all of that by playing golf four or five times a, a week. But 
And last thing, Joel, it, I just say it's been a pleasure spending the uh, last hour with you, and I'm just so proud of the success of the military officer and uh, you guys carrying on at Camera Rooks the way you're doing. Thank, Thank you so much day. to both of you as well. Well, uh, when we come out of this uh, this uh, shelter-in-place pandemic, I look forward to catching up with you guys in person in the near future. Thank you, Joe. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. You bet. Bye-bye. Well, I hope everyone here enjoyed this podcast. I certainly did. It was great catching up with Roger and Renee. Once again, a special thank you to both of them for taking the time to do this. I wish them well. Uh, during their retirement and that they stay safe and healthy as we continue to navigate through COVID-19. To learn more about Cameron Brooks, visit our website, Cameron-Brooks.com, as well as our book, PCS to Corporate America, fourth edition, which you can find on our uh, on Amazon.com. <laughs>